Um, so Easter Sunday, uh, I uh, was thinking about some of the fear that is expressed in this passage uh, in Luke chapter 24. And, uh, and so thought uh, a decent amount about what, what, are we, what do we fear? What are we scared of? What are the things that, uh, that cause us anxiety uh, in, in this life? And there are many. We are not going to address them all. But I, I thought about, uh, for me, just this reality of sitting with the hope of the resurrection, but knowing that it doesn't fix everything that, uh, that we experience in this world. That there is a promise that that will one day be the case, but that we sit in uh, and sometimes, I think, fail to apply the power of the resurrection. And think, okay, what does that look like in my own life? What are the ways that I fear that in my own life or for my family or for the congregation? And there are moments where, where our fears are, are highlighted and the things that we don't want to experience, we do, and, and we feel deep need. Maybe it's just an illustration, but you know, I, I think about uh, Sunday morning on Easter Sunday. This is one of our favorite days. We, um, we have people over for lunch, and uh, it's a celebration all day. And we, uh, we think about liturgical art and making it beautiful and inviting space. And we were super excited <laughs> about the liturgical art. So Matt and Tina and Stephanie and I... Uh, I do encourage you, please read that uh, artist statement and look at the picture. The picture doesn't do it justice. Uh, and so to walk in on uh, this morning and to see that it had been all ripped down last night uh, was a, a significant disappointment, right? And then, then I realized I'm, I'm going to have to fight against uh, bitterness or anger or things that uh, it, it's, it's not worth that, Right? It's just not. And yet, recognizing that I fear that regularly, not just for this, but for other things too, uh, even much more significant things, even some of the things that were prayed for uh, in today's uh, prayer time. There are lots of things to fear in this world. I, I had my kids say uh, that we should have changed, you know, we're just going in order through the New City Catechism, we should have changed uh, the, the questions that we read. And, and I think there's uh, a reality to, a, it's a good reminder that we sit with the hope of the resurrection every single Sunday in the midst of the consequences of sin too. And that the hope of the resurrection is hope because it comes in light of all that is broken and, and all that is hard. And so I, I pray that as we look here at Luke 24, as we think about things to be fearful of uh, and things that we struggle with, that we will find hope. And that we will find that ultimately the third point is that the resurrection actually deals with the fear of death. And it's more than just death, I think. We'll talk about that. But we actually, the first two points are about the fear that we have really actually around the resurrection and its story. The fear of believing and the fear of power. And so those are the three points. We're going we're gonna to look at that. And I, I, I believe there is great promise and hope here in Luke chapter 24. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of resurrection and its promise for us. The promise that it matters here and now and that it will actually matter for eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear of believing is the first uh, fear that I want to address. We, we find this reluctance to believe both with the women, but then even more with the disciples, the 11 afterwards that they go and share the story with. Like, ah, it's just an idle tale. 
Um, and, and, and they are told in the midst of it, remember, Jesus said this was going to happen, and yet they, they didn't believe. We have ourselves lots and lots of doubts regarding a story about a man who lived and died and rose again from the dead. We know how death works, right? It's pretty final, quite final, in fact. And we don't have to be scientists, and they didn't have to be scientists at the time to know that's how it works. And, and yet, what we gather around each and every Sunday, not just Easter Sunday, is that this story is real. That it actually happened in history. That Jesus Christ was 100% man. We could talk about the whole mystery and doubts that we have around him being also 100% God. But he was 100% man. And he lived, and he died, and he rose again from the dead. And that this story is a historical story. It is not an illustration. It is real. And that it is the reason that we gather. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if it didn't happen, let's pack it up and go home. That our faith is in vain. That there's no reason to be here. We believe it is true and real. And yet, because we know how death works, we come with doubts. And we come in a culture that tells us you're foolish to believe this story. What? A man rising from the dead? We know how death works. That's not the way it works. That's crazy to believe. And you're foolish to believe it. And there are books written on the resurrection and the reasons that we can believe in this historic story. I just want to just address a couple of things that we find in this passage. That, uh, and, and that's just, we'll just like touch the tip of the iceberg here. And I will encourage you uh, to continue to interact, interact with these questions and this story and the doubts that you have. Whether you're a follower of Jesus and are struggling with doubts or whether you uh, think the whole thing is crazy and foolish, right? I think these things matter, and I would encourage us all to deal with these questions. I think it's important to note that they weren't expecting it. So we would make a mistake if we just said, oh, you know, people in the olden days, they believed crazy things. They were so superstitious that this was, you know, they always told these resurrection stories. No, they knew. They, they didn't have to have all the science that we do now to know, again, how death works. They were not expecting this. And it wasn't even a part of uh, the Jewish tradition at that point to expect a single resurrection in the middle of history. They might have looked to a final resurrection that we still look forward to, but they weren't looking for one man to rise from the dead in the middle of history. And so when the women go to the tomb, they're perplexed. In verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, so they see that he's not there, they don't know exactly what's going on, even though they had been told back in Luke chapter 9 and chapter 13 that Jesus, by They've been told by him that he was going to die and rise from the dead, and they still weren't expecting it. It didn't fit into a Jewish worldview. It didn't fit into a Gentile worldview. Nobody expected this to happen, and we see that with them. And then the disciples, the 11, are, are gathered in hiding, not as bold as the women to go and dress Jesus. They're fearful, and they're hiding, and, and the women go to them, and they're like, uh, seems like an idle tale, verse 11. But these words to them seemed an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They had heard the same thing. They weren't expecting it. Uh, so it, let's not say, oh, yeah, old, you know, this old story, superstitious people. That's, that's what they thought happened regularly. No, that was not part of the story. And then we just find the witnesses, that there are witnesses to the resurrection of, of Jesus. The fact that it was women is pretty significant. If you're going to make up a story at this time, you don't 
allow your first witnesses, the first people to tell about the resurrected Jesus, to be those who aren't even allowed to testify in court at the time. I mean, that was just, that was the reality of the culture. Unjust, broken, but if you're going to make up a story, this is not who you're going to use as the first witnesses. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, it's consistent across the Gospels that the first to, to witness the fact that Jesus had, has risen from the dead is this group of faithful women who have gone to, to dress his body uh, for burial. And so we find that that doesn't fit. Or even the idea that this story would be made up so that the disciples would have some sort of power. I mean, that's regularly a story uh, that we hear that was all made up for, for power. The disciples... Uh, now, power has been abused in churches for centuries since then, but at this point, there was no power to be had in telling this story. In fact, it was quite the opposite. All but one of the, the 11 disciples remaining died. They were killed because they testified to the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. What they received was not power, but was persecution and death. Blaise Pascal, mathematician, but also a theologian, says... I believe those witnesses who had their throats cut. If this was just a story they made up, certainly at the end they're going to say, wait, wait, okay, it's not worth my death, right? It it doesn't fit. Paul, as he invites people to believe this truth in 1 Corinthians 15, he invites folks to, while there are still hundreds, actually, that Jesus has appeared to, still alive, he says, go to them and talk to them. This isn't just a few people who made up a story over in a corner. This is a Uh, He says, hundreds of people who witnessed the resurrected Jesus who were still alive at the writing of 1 Corinthians, and he says, go talk to them. These are just some, again, books have been written over why it's reasonable to believe this story. But let's remind ourselves that this story that we believe is a true and real story makes all the difference. And that if it's not true and real, then let's... Pack it up. Let's go home. Easter Sunday or any other. I, I come to this uh, poem regularly on Easter. Uh, encourage you to look it up if you haven't. John Updike, the Pulitzer Prize winning author and poet, uh, wrote the seven stanzas at, as Easter. I'm going to actually read it. It's, it's a, a great poem about the resurrection. He says, make, mo- make no mistake. If he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of the enduring might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of the earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. 
Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. This is beautiful poem. If this is, let, let's, let's embrace the fact that this story is real. And my encouragement is, whatever your doubts are, and certainly there are doubts among all of us, deal with, dive into those doubts and deal with the real story. Because the truth is, as Paul says, as um, John Updike alludes to here, if it didn't really happen in his body, then the church will fall. And I think the fact that the church has continued for 2,000 years as a testimony to this fact. But here is the truth. Deal with the reality of the resurrection. And the reality is, if you do deal with that, and you come to the conclusion that he rose from the dead, that he has power over death, that actually leads to the second fear, which is the fear of this power. Because if this is real, then that means that we're not in control. It means we're far from it. That means that there is one who has power over death and that he is able to speak into our lives in a way that is challenging, in a way that is difficult, in a way that we hear things that we're not comfortable with and we're called to submit to him. It means that this God who has power over death can say, you know what, it matters how you spend your money and your time and your relationships and all of those questions that we have about Christianity, which we should deal with, whatever they might be, questions about evil and suffering or what the Bible says about sexuality or the roles of men and women or about money or call to live sacrificially, cross-centered lives, all of that should be submitted to one who has power over death. If that is true, then it changes the way that we think about our lives and how we live them. Because we're not in control. And this goes back to the fall. This goes back to the fact that we confess our sin every week because we want to be in control. We want to be God. But we're faced with one who is so powerful and so in control that he's conquered death itself. And that, that's challenging. We, we don't always like that. It means that we have to submit. It means that we have to be under authority. We don't like authority. I mean, we see the power at work here and that it is frightening. Look at verse 5. As we've just heard in verse 4, that the women were perplexed. They didn't know what was going on. They're trying to figure out. Again, it doesn't make immediate sense to them. It's not like, oh, yeah, Jesus said he was going to. They're, they're perplexed. They're, they don't know what's going on. And they see this angel as the, uh, that stood by them in dazzling apparel, verse 4. And then in verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, they're overwhelmed by the power of, of just the angels. They haven't even, at this point, been faced with the glorified, risen Jesus and his power. And they're terrified. This is consistent throughout Scripture that, that seeing certainly any... Uh, revelation of the Lord himself, but even of angels, it is a terrifying experience. And that's what we find here is being terrified at the power of who our God is. And put, putting us in our place that, again, we're not in control. It's, it's terrifying. And so there is fear associated with believing this story because of the power that it represents over us. 
And yet the, the last point here is that, uh, that we're faced with regularly the fear of death and the resurrection actually answers that fear. So we talked about reasons that it's like, I'm not sure I want to believe that story. But here's the hope that it brings when we do. When we embrace the story that the church has believed and preached for the last 2,000 years, is that what we find here is that actually, not just our fear of death, but every other fear that we have is answered in the resurrection. And you, you may be in the beginning, as I was talking about, what are you scared of? What do you fear? You might have had a whole list that went through your head, and maybe that included fear of death. Maybe you're young enough that that seems pretty far off, and you haven't even been around uh, close friends or family that have passed away, but maybe you have. Maybe you have real reason to, to fear death, either for yourself or for a loved one, and you know the power that that holds. But there was a whole nother list that came up with your fears as well, right? But the reality is that death, which Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15 as he talks about uh, the resurrection, he says that death is swallowed up in victory of the uh, resurrection, that it is the final enemy to be defeated, death is. But it's true that death actually ends all of our other fears, Whatever we fear, it's over in death, even if death brings annihilation. But here's the beauty that the resurrection story tells us, is that's not what happens in death. That that's just the beginning of the resurrection for all of us. Because 1 Corinthians tells us that this resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus that happened 2,000 years ago, is a marker for us that our resurrection will come. And that all things will be made right. And that all of our fears that are ended in death because we no longer are here to fear them, that actually it turns to life because of the work of Jesus who has power over that death. You, you may have heard the story. It, many news outlets reported it back in 2005. Uh, I most recently read it in an NBC News article about a Kenyan potato and bean farmer, I believe. Daniel Mbago, and I probably said that wrong. I'm not going to say it again. I'll say it differently and wrong in a different way. So he's a farmer in rural Kenya, and he's attacked by a leopard, a leopard who uh, they, they determined later had probably been injured elsewhere and so was on edge and, and ready to fight. And so it comes at him, and he has a machete, and he feels that he hears a voice from the Lord. And the illustration isn't about the voice from the Lord, though that is uh, a reality that God is powerful to work in ways that we don't understand. But he drops his machete and he takes his hand and he sticks it in the mouth of the leopard and begins to pull the leopard's tongue out. And in this fight that goes on for a while where his wrist is mangled, he ultimately pulls the tongue out of the leopard. And the leopard bleeds out and dies. He reaches into that thing that will destroy him, that will kill him, and he brings life out of it, his, his life. He saves himself by reaching into death and bringing about his life. It's not what you would expect to happen, right? You would think, oh, the machete, or run. <laughs> I mean, there are any number of things that might come into your mind, right? But that's probably not one thought that you would have. And we would not think that the answer for us and the hope for us in the midst of our fear of death and the 
consequences of, it or, of, of that or our dying bodies or the anxieties we have about anything that we might lose, friendships, relationships, finances, all of those things, that the answer would come in a man who dies and so then needs the resurrection. And yet Jesus reaches into death itself and brings out life for you and for me. He experiences death that we mourned and lamented and celebrated the Good Friday service with Redeemer on Friday. He reached into death and he brings about our life. That is the power of the resurrection for us. That is the hope that he offers. And we so quickly put our hope in other places, in places that are not secure. So maybe you've read the, the artist statement, and maybe you haven't. Again, I encourage you to read that at some point. Maybe not right at this moment. But it talks about we had these paper chains, and there are a few of them left, and there are a few pieces of paper at the top. Uh, and, yeah, we see one. Uh, there are a few. And, uh, and they are this representation of, they're, they're flimsy. I mean, I do think they took some work to take down. But they, they could be ripped easily, right? They're, they're not chains that, that hold. The, the illustration is that to think of them as actual chains is a little bit laughable. In the resurrection account, in Matthew chapter 27, so actually right before the resurrection, there are folks that go to the high priest and, and they go to those in charge, to Pilate, and they say, we need to put guards in front of the tomb so that somebody doesn't steal the body and make up this story. And uh, what he says is, go for it. Make it as secure as you can. Make it as secure as you can. And reading that in light of Matthew 28 or Luke 24, it's laughable. Make it as secure as you can. We're talking about a God who has power over death itself. You can't secure that tomb. That's laughable. The security doesn't come in those chains. It doesn't come in the places where we put our hopes. So think about, again, the fears that we have, our finances, our relationships, our jobs, uh, all of those things where we put security, they're going to fail us. They're going to fail us in death. Our fear comes because of the things that we are tempted to put our security in, our hope in, are going to fail us. But what we find here is that the promise is that there is a, a security, an ultimate security, that we celebrate at the Lord's table. The, the chains, whether they're paper chains or metal chains, whether they're powerful things of this world, governments of this world, that they, they are not secure. Our hopes will fail if we put them in anything other than Jesus who has power over death because death comes for every single one of us. We don't know when, but the death rate is 100%. And hope in anything besides the resurrected Lord who has power over death and promises us that same resurrection power, that same resurrection that will come for us and when he will fix what is broken in this world, that we will no longer have things to fear. When the new heavens come to the new earth, Revelation 21 tells us that we'll walk with Jesus in all of his glory and that there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death for the former things have passed away. That's only possible. There's only hope in light of injustice and insecurity in this world if there is, is a promise of justice 
and ultimate power over death in the future. We think about the war in Ukraine and the just can't, the unimaginable horror that's being experienced there. We think about the, the brokenness here and the violence in our own city. We think about racial injustice. Uh, we think about racism that we have. We think about the systems that are broken and, and we're overwhelmed. And we've said this before, even if we fixed racism and, and eradicated it, and we fixed the pandemic and we eradicated it, and if we fixed the war in Ukraine and eradicated it, we still have broken, sinful, selfish hearts, and our, our world would still be full of brokenness and sin. That's the reality of where we live. That doesn't mean that we don't fight for every one of those things. We're actually encouraged to, because of the power of the resurrection, that power is offered to us to, to fight against injustice, to fight for beauty and peace, knowing and hoping with a certain hope that we can do that because there is ultimate hope offered in Jesus who has power over death itself. That security comes. We celebrate that security today. That's the story of Easter. That's the story of the resurrection. May we find hope in that, knowing that that hope is for you and for me, that our own resurrections will come, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. Let's hope in the power of Jesus and his resurrection.